Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, for those of you guys who are just tuning in for the first time, we actually started this group back in April of 2020, and we've just been slowly growing ever since. And uh, it's just been awesome to see the growth that we've experienced. And we, as a result, we've been able to have some phenomenal speakers come and, and talk about a variety of different commercial real estate topics. And today's no exception. We actually have Masha Kaplanova uh, here. Uh, hopefully I did said that right, but- uh, Almost, almost. <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, but but she's actually come on several calls uh, in the past and and engaged with the group. And so I'm really excited to be able to kind of dive into her background, her story, and then really explain the various different concepts of self-storage, which is something that has been, you know, very much a asset type that people have been seeking over the last, you know, several years. So welcome to the the meetup. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rafael. I'm excited to be here and uh, talking about my favorite asset class. I think for everyone, it should be their own favorite asset class for me is self-storage. And uh, I'm excited to dive in and why I get a, I get a start with the self-storage and why I consider it the best one. So let me share my slides. Yeah, no, right for sure. Here. Let's go present. Great. So my name is Masha Klapanova, or you can just call me Masha from Russia. I was born in Russia, as you guess, and uh, I've been living right now in Miami. And uh, self, uh, we, I own a self-storage facility actually in North Carolina. So however, I started not with self-storage as an investing career. I was uh, first pursuing real residential real estate investing. And I just bought this expensive coaching uh, course and uh, while pursuing wholesaling, flipping and uh, um, rentals, I just knew that commercial real estate had something special about it and especially cell storage. So not thinking too long, I came to my coach and asking her, what do you think? Can I just go do cell storage right now? Or maybe multifamily, I wasn't sure about it at the time what I'm going to be doing. And she told me, no, it's not possible. It's, you have to first spend a few years, at least two heavy years, flip houses, you know, do rentals. And maybe, maybe after that, you will be able. Uh, and it, I didn't get disappointed. I didn't just give up on that. And I decided, let me go dig deeper. Let me go other experts, other commercial experts and self-storage experts and see if it's possible. And surprisingly, I get mixed answers. A lot of them were saying, and a lot of them were coming from the long background of residential real estate investing. And no, no matter what, I started diving more and more. And I just was so passionate. The more I learned about self-storage, the more I loved it. And I decided to prove to myself that I can do it. I can do it. And here we are today. Uh, I've been invited to speak at the Raphael's uh, meetup uh, podcast uh, and uh, sharing with you my experience. And it hasn't been an easy experience, but I strongly believe that self-storage is a top choice. That's why I call my company Top Choice Investment Group. And before I dive in deeper into why self-storage, I want to tell you that I want you to walk away from this presentation, not only having knowledge, but three ways how you can get involved almost immediately with self-storage investing. 
So let's look at this, right? It's boring doors, metal, lighting. I mean, what's so exciting about it? Why everybody's talking? Where when you look at some multifamily properties, they're so beautiful. They're gorgeous. There's so much involved in them. And I will start just explaining that self-storage is not only a real estate asset class, it's also a retail business. It's a small business that take advantages of real estate, such as uh, cost segregation, right? Depreciation, where normal business cannot do. So, and I will want to talk to you about more deeper, and I will be comparing a lot multifamily with uh, and other commercial real estate assets with self-storage. So first of all, management. With self-storage, on average, you have one, one and a half person, meaning usually it's one or two person managing the facility, where with multifamily, it's five or six. And as we know, uh, for example, we just usually hire a boots on the ground person. We don't even need to have a full-time manager at the facility. And why? Because we can implement all this technology, such as kiosks and, oh, let me see, sorry. Sorry, it's been, uh, such as kiosks, virtual assistants, and all this software softwares in place. At the moment right now, I just hired a virtual assistant. They're gonna be helping me with acquisitions. But in very near future, I will hire a virtual manager because there's so many things you can do nowadays on a computer and you don't need to be there at the facility. I only visited the facility in North Carolina two times when we were just analyzing it and when we closed on it. And I really don't have a need to go there anymore. So self-storage can be unmanned and automated because, you know, human error, I mean, we tend to make mistakes. Uh, I make mistakes. Other people, sometimes they make it by accident, but sometimes they can also do it on purpose. And to eliminate, I prefer to put systems and technology in place. And with self storage, sometimes you can find those kiosks. You don't need to have a person over there. You, there's less possibility someone can steal from you, right? And to show you a simple process, how rental is happening. You don't even need those kiosks. We all have our iPhone. We go online, we go to Google, like near storage, you find a storage, you go to website, book online, and that's it. You receive usually a gate code, and through that gate code, you just get in, into the facility. So simple a keypad, that's it. There's no human interaction needs to be involved in that. And even in high-class facilities, you can have a Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth, key, uh, Bluetooth key to enter your unit. So it's so great. You don't need nowadays having people in place. So it means you don't need to pay all the benefits, all the uh, medical benefits, as well as those salaries. And to talk more about the storage, you probably heard about Storage Wars, the famous TV show. And uh, it's exciting, it's fun to watch, but it's 
not exactly the reality. We usually don't find treasures in our facilities. We always hope that we can recover. But what it really tells us that we don't, we haven't suffered through, uh, we don't suffer from the tenant landlord laws as other asset classes do. If the tenant don't pay, we can evict them the next month, depending on the state, it's different times. So we don't have evictions. We don't have much turnover costs and no commissions to broker to pay to try to lease that unit. So we just have this space that needs just to clean up. You don't need to change your carpets. You don't need to fix the plumbing. It's just this boring metal box. Maybe it's boring, but and people find it like very um, attractive. They actually stick to their units. Why they stick? So you think about someone comes in, usually, many times tenants come, they think, okay, I'm gonna just store their items for, for uh, my items for only three months. They end up staying six months, one year, or even more. So if you look at the statistic, 21% of tenants are staying for more than one or two, two years. So we call them the sticky factor. Even though they think they come for uh, that amount of time, they actually stay much longer. And that's what gives us those flexible lease terms. And uh, we, what it does, we can increase rents every month, realistically. Obviously we don't do it every month, but we're allowed because our contract with the tenant for one month only. And before, it was actually a scary factor because banks were thinking, oh, what if the tenant just signs a contract for one month and they're gonna all leave? They never really leave altogether. They leave time to time. So those flexible terms are really a benefit for us and less than even for tenant. So it's so easy to raise rents. And at the same time, we have dynamic pricing. You probably know from the airlines and hotels how you go, uh, take, check your tickets, and then you come back in one hour, the prices can increase. So with storage, they actually have even more complex dynamic pricing algorithm because you can take different, like the unit next to each other can have different pricing. And depending on demand, usually airline, they, all the rows, like all the same line will have the same pricing for, except like, Extra space, uh, extra space for the legs, where the storage, they all so much manipulating those seats, so, sorry, those unit pricing that you just increase drastically your profits all the time. So 10 by 10 right here, 10 by 10 right there will cost different amount. And that gives us a tremendous advantage. And that's why not surprisingly, comparing the profits Actually, multifamily makes about $1.02 uh, per square foot per month, where storage $1.12 per month. And it's because we're renting also, you think about, oh, multi, I mean, your apartments, you're offering so much more than just putting things in. But the smaller, you, for example, in storage, the smaller unit you rent, the, the higher price per square foot. So that's why we rent smaller units. We don't rent bigger, like apartment size. So you again win here, even with these statistics. 
Again, another one is my favorite, obviously, is expenses. I mean, with self-storage, we have lower maintenance costs, we have uh, lower management costs, and that's why our expense ratios on average between, um, can go from like 28 to 35, uh, and smaller facilities, like very small facilities can go up to 40, which is very rare, where multifamily we're getting closer to 50%. This is obviously the averages we're taking in every state, in every location, every type of asset class is different. But you do make more money doing self-storage in that manner, just simple as that. And you also think that self-storage seems okay, there's not probably that many storages, but to compare in unit-wise, single family has 15 million. Apartment rental has 16 million. Mobile home rentals has 1.4 million and self-storage to 25 million plus. So that's incredible statistics. But again, you ask me, there's probably not that many self-storage, but if you would drive around, you probably see McDonald's, you see Starbucks, you see Wendy's, Pizza Hut, and all they combined together, there's more storages, including all of them plus Dunkin' Donuts, number-wise. So, and for storage facilities, they are so much more larger than like little Starbucks, right, or little McDonald's. So there is opportunities out there, let me tell you, for sure. And let's talk about, as investors, what we really care about. Historically, again, self-storage has uh, high returns over other asset classes. And uh, uh, self-storage has 17.47, sorry, 17.43% uh, compared to, let's say, multifamily, 1332 and uh, this is obviously looking at all the previous statistics I told you, it kind of makes sense why it is like that. And on top of that, it's a recession-resistant recession asset class. And it still booms during economic uh, uh, boom. It still strengthens during economic booms. So why it's like that? And we look obviously at the past, the re recent recession that we had, so storage didn't have much loss as other asset classes again. And this is where actually banks saw that and they got, oh, what's going on there? And during the virus, <laughs> it, we call some sort of so virus resistant, where when COVID just started, everybody was shocked what's gonna happen, but so storage considered as essential business. And we didn't have, uh, our eviction process didn't stop either. So people start actually more having different events like they start moving around, they start divorcing, I mean, dying and people need storage. So storage actually became more profitable business and real estate asset class during COVID. And as I was mentioning, there's four Ds why customers are usually mostly for self-storage. It's downsizing during COVID, especially we know people who aren't able, able to afford their housing, they would move with, with their parents, let's say, right? Or divorcing. Uh, people were stuck together, couples were stuck together and they, they didn't wanna live together with them anymore. Death, this is an unfortunate one. I'm not gonna be commenting this one. And dislocating. Uh, there's so many movements been going on before COVID and now during COVID. So people need to store their things somewhere. And so all this, obviously, 
or very important and for the banks for getting financing the storage has the lowest default rate so and this starts from january 2018 for self-storage to fail it's you have to really do big mass to self-storage not fail or you can maybe build somewhere where you're not supposed to build what many people are doing right now so it's really less risky asset class and this is one of the first ways that i want to share with you as i was saying three ways first is as i started i invested passively in self-storage uh and this was the greatest decision i knew i wanted to get involved actively but i was looking at i was connecting with different operators different uh investors and uh some who, someone who I knew, he was raising capital. So what I did is, since I knew I don't want to invest only possibly, I want to learn, I asked him, is it possible I invest with you? But I also want to learn a little bit behind the scenes, what are you doing there? And this was one of the best experiences. Uh, I knew I was be able to ask extra questions where normally I would not be able. They helped me to look, take a look at my business plan when I was uh, presenting a business plan to bank. He helped me a little bit with underwriting. So if how you want, if you want to get started with self-storage, not only you can gain all those amazing benefits uh, as a passive investor, but you can gain some experience if you obviously ask the operator. I knew that going with a big syndicator, uh, I would not be able to get all those insights, but with someone who is still in maybe uh, early stages of their capital raising. I knew this was a great opportunity. So talking about, uh, this was the slide before that. Uh, so the say there are safest loans and best leverages and banks love self-storage. And we have SBA program, which is small business administration program, which offers you even 90% leverage. So if some people say, I don't have enough money to invest, you can find self-storage that costs a half a million dollars and you can only put down 10% if you qualify. And uh, it's not that hard to qualify for SBA. Usually their SBA loans are run from 85% to 90% um, LTV. So there's opportunities out there. And coming back to similar topic I was talking about is so storage is still fragmented because let's compare. This is uh, self-storage mom and pop. So this is from 2017. There's about 76% mom and pops, meaning those are just maybe uh, those owners that they're just owning self-storage and they're not uh, those big institutional players. So they don't have, they probably have maybe one to five max facilities. Uh, and the top operators, such as like, you know, public storage or CubeSmart, they own about 7%. And let's compare those numbers to multifamily. Multifamily, the mom and pops, let's say call them, only own 7%, where the institutional big players own 93%. And those are statistical 50 plus units. I'm not talking about lower than that. So you, there's chances that there are some of these hidden deals, hidden storages that someone are like some, somebody is running it without 
Google My Business, they don't have website in place, they don't have automatic gate, they don't have all those privileges. So picking up those type of facilities, finding they probably can't even find them anywhere. You probably can only find them driving by. So if you ever drive by and see self storage facility, get information on it. You never know, probably no one knows about this deal and this could be a tremendous, amazing opportunity. And talking about again, tremendous opportunities that self storage have low cost value at, such as I was talking about tech, putting tech in place. It is cost money, but it's not like completely rehabbing your kitchen, let's say, or a curb appeal. You don't need to be putting something super beautiful in front, just keeping it simple and make it appealing to customers. Putting marketing in place, such as like Google My Business, uh, management, ancillary incomes, uh, which I will be talking right now, and more units, adding more units and building more units. It's a great value add. So this is an example of ancillary incomes. So there's really so many creative ways you can get on adding, if you have additional space or frontage, or depending what demand you have. Some people say, put it, for example, billboards, and you can make that thousand, two thousand, depending dollars without just doing anything. You just have that billboard and someone, the mark, someone is paying for you. Having ATMs or uh, some people, like if they're all have office, they would be selling like moving supplies. You can uh, co get contract with, um, uh, let's say U-Haul and rent uh, their trucks over there. Um, and this is those, are, or even if you have, for example, an office, like an office in front, you can uh, rent a lease that offers for whatever business possible, such as notarius office, or it can be anything. But my most favorite value add is definitely here. And right here, I'm showing a, uh, a picture of empty land next to self-storage. And that empty land, whether it's already owned by th that, uh, it's already in that lot of self-storage or just completely separate lot, this is, I see money there because here you can build more storage units. And this is what we are right now, we are in process in uh, our facility. Uh, we have, we, we are in plans of expanding and doubling the size. So that means doubling the income, doubling the value of facility. And it's just phenomenal where, I mean, I don't hear people buy multifamily and expand, build more multifamily more apartments. Probably someone does, but this with self storage, you don't even have to sometimes do. You can put portable storages and uh, those portable storages, beautiful, about, beautiful thing about them. You don't need to have permits. You don't need to put like, let's say concrete slab. You can just put it on the gravel and the timeline is also much quicker than building those storages. And another thing, if you have land, you can put RV and boat storage. And those are right now, especially during COVID time. I mean, there's been the scarcity of RVs. People can't travel, people can't fly. I mean, they can, but people just decide to, they think double before they're gonna go travel somewhere. So a lot of people say, oh, let's just get an RV and drive around the uh, United States. And on top of that, it just created so much demand. So this is definitely an asset class I'm highly interested in. 
I'm looking at potential land because you can, it's so much quicker and their expense ratio, they're even lower. They're about 20-ish percent expense ratio. So I'm definitely looking into that one. It could be an exciting project. But the most, the most what interests me, and if you look at this building, here I'm showing us Storage of America building that looks like almost exactly like Kmart. And it probably used to be a Kmart or some other retail store like Sears or could be something like a warehouse. And why I'm saying that because one of the probably the highest return, uh, highest return investment you can do in self-storage is conversion projects. So if you, anyone by any chance know about empty seating warehouse or closing Kmart or like kind of bigger space, uh, maybe some industrial space that's just sitting there and uh, not making any money. Let's take a look at it because this could be a great structure to convert to self-storage, which means right now we know the prices for steel are skyrocketing, skyrocketing. and as well as uh, the finding deals becomes not very easy. So sometimes you can have some, let's say, warehouse or Kmart staying in the middle of some urban area and you can't find land there. You can't buy land there. You can't find an existing facility there because everybody who's doing, they're already doing well and no one's selling there. But you have this empty building. Converting it will be not only cheaper because you already have steel in that building. On top of that, it's going to be cost less. The labor will cost so much lower because... And now labor is also crazy because of uh, all the free money that people are receiving. Nobody wanna really work. So conversion projects, obviously it's important to look at the structure of the building. If there are some issues, really structural issues, I'll be cautious, but those are really golden nuggets. So I was saying to you, the three ways how you can get involved Maybe you're pursuing completely different asset class or you're doing a completely different thing. But if you come across, let's say even empty warehouse or just some land or self-storage, you can get into self-storage so easily. You don't need to be getting involved. You can just obviously wholesale it. But you probably thought of before of self-storage, but you haven't thought about the warehouse or some other building that could be converted. So let me know if you come across of any. And the beautiful thing, and this is obviously relates not only to self-storage, it uh, relates to any asset class. The institutional buyers will be so much happier to buy when you have a portfolio for sale. So sometimes let's say if uh, I have a facility um, like in North Carolina and uh, you find a deal somewhere also in North Carolina and you want to be also a part of it, it could be potential very beneficial to partner on this deal together because then if we find another, we can overpay for the third facility and sell it for a much higher uh, price because obviously institutional players, they don't want to buy just one facility. They would prefer to buy several within, typically it's within two hour drive range for self-storage that you can easily sell and get at least 30% a higher price than you would have if you sold it individually. And just talking about general about the industry, it's been growing. 
it's been growing. The revenue right now for the industry is $40 billion. That's exciting. That's the industry is growing. And the interesting part is people are keep using more. And if you look at the stats, this is old stats. We got here 8% in uh, 18, on 2018, 8% of population using cell storage. So it's a huge amount of people where right now in 2021, there's over 10%. So in coming in three years, we get 2% increase of cell storage use, 2% of whole United States population. And it's growing. I mean, let's be honest, who doesn't like to buy an Amazon? And we just buying a bunch of junk. We are, we are, this is our lifestyle, right? We just keep carrying this, all these things with us. And even though some people say, oh, there's some minimalist people, but there's so little of them. We still prefer if you have some stuff. I actually, if I have some stuff at home, I'd rather get rid of it and instead of throwing away, I will put it in self-storage. So if you're in a room with 10 people, at least one of that person uses self-storage and they're probably a sticky tenant. They've probably been using it for so much longer time than expected. It's probably the value of what they have there doesn't even close to what they're paying, but that's the reality. It's just what it is. And surprisingly also, that the tenant base, you would think, oh, people that have 65% of tenants has garages, 47% has attic, and 33% have basement. So even though we have a place to store our things, we still will go and get a self-storage. So why isn't everybody going to invest in self-storage? And honestly, yes, many has been investing. It's been a hot asset class. Many people talk about it. Uh, since I got into it uh, about two years ago, it's just the interest grew so much. Many people are shifting. Many people from residential, from commercial are shifting. Many people want to diversify. And no wonder, I mean, this is again, a little older stats. In 2018, we get closer to $5 billion spending in construction. And now it's even higher. And during COVID, now the the material and labor cost is rising. People are still building. In the beginning, they kind of stopped of 2020, but then we don't see the prices of the still going down. So people keep building until it makes sense. So this is like uh, in 2019, the construction is just massive, massive. You, I many people tell me, yeah, I see like here popping up, here popping up, here popping up. That's the reality. So it becomes more higher entry to bear, uh, higher and high entry to bar uh, barrier to enter the uh, self storage, and especially in different markets, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Obviously, a bad thing for newbies, good thing for those who already getting, who has been in the industry. And however, though where there's a lot of construction going on, it's mostly in urban, and in, in general, about there's thirty two percent of United States that's urban. And over there, you gotta be super careful because those REITs, those public storages, CubeSmart, they're building in those urban big markets. There's a lot of opportunity in suburban. Suburban, they start getting into more and more, but there's so much more and you can be, you, you can be less in a way. Uh, in urban, you have to be super cautious. In suburban, you still can find much more opportunities. And rural, 
you'll be like, why rule? Why even talking about rule? Self-storage, you need it everywhere. You need it in a small town of thousand people. You still need self-storage. Uh, so compared to, again, multifamily, you would not have a multifamily in small towns. In self-storage, you on average need seven square feet per person. This is the statistics. So when you're calculating, you're looking at the deals, if you don't have much competitors there, you may have opportunity to get into small rural markets or maybe suburban. And we have a whole United States. There is many people talk about this hot markets and it's all great, but even in a more like stagnant market uh, with self-storage, obviously you have to be very careful. You can find opportunities. So what I like to look at this, you may be like even looking in a uh, urban area and maybe you have areas where we, in self-storage, we look at as a radius. So in five mile radius or in three mile radius, how much demand there are. But you may go like five miles away where there could be high demand and five miles away again, and will be low demand. And so it's all very localized. So you look at very little markets. When I do my analysis, I can be staying in the same town, but it could be different demand in different areas of town because people don't like to drive far away to store their things. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. So, and kind of summing up, I mean, oh, I love all these asset classes. I mean, flipping was great. I was pursuing that. It's a great asset class. Definitely love multifamily. I, I always think that I want to be shifting to multifamily, but I'm just sticking with one asset class. Senior living definitely intrigued me. There's opportunities out there. Mobile home parks. That's an interesting, intriguing asset class, no doubt. I mean, retail space, uh, retail uh, asset. I mean, that's a totally different monster. But I personally, I will stick with self-storage, but definitely not this type of self-storage, but more like A-class self-storage. Definitely. And uh, I want to sum up in a way the three ways that I share with you that potentially can partner. Actually, the third way is we can partner on a deal together. Or you can find someone else and partner with them. With the beauty of Wilder in general, this is not related to self-storage. With commercial real estate, Compared to residential, residential, everybody does it by themselves. They are more kind of, they're everybody in residential competitors. <clears throat> Where in commercial, I feel like we're all there to support each other. If I find some multifamily deals, I usually send them to my friends. I send them, take a look. I don't need them, but I send it to them. So together, we can definitely achieve that freedom by supporting each other, adding value in different manners. I see my freedom to achieve through self-storage, but for you, it's maybe different asset class. And to just kind of sum up all the three ways. First way, you can invest passively <coughs> in a self-storage or any other asset class to get into the industry. The next one, you can just find a deal and give it to someone. I mean, wholesale it if you don't have 
let's say, real estate license. Third, third way is just become a partner. You, we all have different strengths and I have some strength. You maybe have different strengths and together we can be a so much more powerful team. So I'd be happy to definitely help anyone else who is interested about this asset class to talk more about it. And uh, we can continue this conversation. Uh, my, you can reach me at 305-930-15555. I think I said too many fives, 1555. And, or at Marsha at group. And you can find me, honestly, the best way is always social media. I mean, on uh, LinkedIn, this is how we, I think Raphael, we connected together. Uh, and uh, or Instagram, Facebook. I think this is always the easiest way to get to know each other more through those uh, platforms. And thank you very much. Awesome, thanks, Masha. That's great. Um, and I and I agree with you in the sense that you know self storage is definitely a unique property type that you know doesn't have as much exposure as you see like in the multifamily space or various other property types that you know, have just gotten a lot more attention over the last, you know, several decades. So I appreciate you being like a, an industry leader in, in that space. And hopefully going forward, you become one of those top, top industry leaders in that. So oh, what I want to do, much. oh, you thank will, you uh, very confident of that. But what I wanted to do as far as uh, the rest of it is just open it up to questions. Uh, we have a uh, chat box, which I think you guys have been utilizing. And so I'm just going to go ahead and look at that real quick. All right. So all right. So Jessica Juarez, uh, hello. She says, uh, is, is there a minimum square, square foot amount uh, that you would look for for a conversion of an empty building into a self-storage facility? That's a good question. Great. Wonderful question. So realistically, cost-wise, uh, somewhere around 40,000 square feet is the best because usually the rentable square footage from that you would get about 30,000, depending, of course, on all the buildings. And uh, you can go lower, but it's sometimes it's just putting all that effort in a smaller facility doesn't really make sense. So I would say something over 50 is preferable. You can easily convert 100, 150. I mean, those are like gigantic uh, properties. So, and the beautiful part about it, that there is no exact, it's a good or bad, bad thing exact formula for conversions. So it's still a newer thing. And I think if to get into something still newer, you can become, my goal is probably become an expert in conversions and actually focusing on just that. And uh, yeah, thank you for the question, Jessica. Yeah. I think it was, right? Yeah, yes, Jessica. Thank that, you, Jessica. That was, that, was, that was a great question. And like you were, like you were mentioning, I mean, those vacant industrial facilities, they're out there. And, and especially ones that are located in areas where it's easy to access. That's one of the cool things about industrial properties is usually they're located in areas that have easy access to major roadways. And that's just a function of the, the tenants that typically occupy those spaces. But if you have an opportunity to be able to convert one of those properties uh, to some sort of self-storage usage, I think that could be of benefit to you. Exactly. And it's not only for us, it's for the city. Uh, oh, itself. Yeah. You know, they're sitting that uh, the owner whatever it is, it's just sitting empty. It's losing money. The government mm -hmm. is not getting taxes right on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're getting, but it's, it's really kind of what we're doing usually, right? Uh, we, when we do multifamily, those rehab, we offer tenants something newer, something beautiful. We are 
bringing something great to the market where with conversions you completely remodel and offer something great that people can use so yeah it's reu reusing a space and we're actually uh, we, we have a we have a guest coming up two weeks from now that we're going to be talking about adaptive reuse which is a similar concept in the sense Ooh, that you take that's a big building and modify it into something new so that's i must what be there doing. i must you, be you there. will you will of i will be yeah. there for sure awesome so we have another question so james hey how's it going james he asked does automated self-storage require a bathroom for customers or guests and then his second question is what are your thoughts on climate controlled versus non-climate controlled facilities hey james uh thank you so much for the questions uh Great. So regarding the automated, so it's this question is really, really depends on your municipality. Um, some of them, depending on square footage, they might re may require like 50 plus thousand square feet. They will require a bathroom or not. I mean, we always try to avoid it. And I know in general that when you submit plans, you try to <laughs> put as least things possible. But realistically, normally you don't really need their bathroom because people are not really coming there they just come, bring things, and leave. So that's why we don't even offer a dumpster. We don't want to offer this less, more hassle of dealing with a dumpster where it just doesn't make sense. You, you remove all those things and will create additional problems for you. So this is the first question. Second one is uh, non-climate versus climate. So usually climate control are, has a higher ROI but it's more expensive to build those. This is where honestly right now analyzing and understanding because our market definitely supports a lot still non-climate controlled and what we wanted to add climate control. So it's really depends what we call it mystery shopping. One of the first thing that I do when I get a deal, I call competitors and see how what are their occupancy? So are they going to be offering, oh, we have a bunch of units for the non-climate control. We don't have nothing for climate control. I'm like, uh-huh. So you really analyze what's out there, what's on high demand, what is low demand, just really by calling facilities and figuring out. So it's in, again, in urban areas, right? We will be needing more climate control. Where when you go to rural areas, it's more just like those large, simple drive up units that's what people prefer definitely that's great insights on that front for sure all right so priscilla uh she asked a question can you open uh, a storage facility near another one it's a great question of course. thank you priscilla for a question so first of all self-storage what i loved when i decided to pursue it it was uh that people are so helpful that we're there really for each other so we want to be, we don't want to be competitors against each other because when sometimes you can be competing against each other, then there will be a price war. And when there's a price war, usually both facilities lose. So instead, you usually want to communicate with your competitor and seeing what's your strategy, what are you planning to do with pricing? So it's honestly, you've seen probably, and also comparing to other businesses, You've seen probably gas station in front of the gas station. That's fine. That's fine. And with self-storage, you can have what well, sometimes we do. You either, if you just came to the market, you can, if you don't have any units available, you, you can come to, uh, you can come to competitors and say, if you don't have any units available, uh, send me your customers your way and I'll give you a, for whatever for that, you for the sending someone your way. So it's, 
you can definitely, again, it's really, you have to be very careful. Sometimes uh, what's been happening in the market that a lot of investors coming in without doing proper supply demand analysis. And this is, remember, this is one thing. Nothing matters supply demand with self storage. There has been a lot of overbuilt markets where people just, oh, let me just have a land here. Let me just put a self storage. And there's just the pipe. There's too much coming up. There's already a lot of self storage and there's more building. There's permits are given. So you got to just, if, the, if there's still demand, it can be totally fine to build a facility next to facility. Yeah. And that's a great, great, great point that I think everyone should realize. And again, I, that applies to all types of property types. I specialize like in retail and, and uh, we're doing on some on the industrial front as well. And it's all about absorption. Like it's, is the market able to support an additional yep. facility? So if you're in a market where you got 10,000 people within a five mile radius and there's two storage facilities that occupy 40,000 square feet, you know, there may be some value there as far as locating. It does, it may not matter that you locate next to, a property. So doing that supply and demand research, you know, getting a feel for what the square footage of, you know, the, the, the self-storage facilities are in the area. And then from there, you know, determining like, like Masha was saying, calling them and saying, Hey, you know, I'm interested in maybe leasing out some of the sub facilities or some storage units in the area. And then they'll openly tell you the things that they have and, or they don't have. So, so there's actually a uh, strategy that I do. So I call, um, Oh, I'm a, I'm moving to a town, um, yeah. with my husband, and my mom, and we're not sure if we're going to be renting a small unit or a bigger unit. So I'm kind of trying to get information on all of the units because I am unsure if I'm going to rent a smaller or bigger. So, um, and then I actually, sometimes if I'm want to know about the parking, like, oh, my husband may even bring his RV or like a boat. Do you have parking for boats? So um, just really it's a mystery shopping. So you call and you try to get the most information from them because sometimes if you just say I'm doing a market analysis, they're not going to give information. So you got to get a feel like you're 10 and, and you're moving to town and you're bringing a bunch of stuff to that town. Yeah, hundred percent. And people do that too in the multifamily space. Like you act like you're wanting to rent something and you go there and, you know, just ask questions. So great, yep. great advice. So Jim, uh, he's a local. So, Hey Jim, good seeing you. Uh, what are you looking for in a partner right now? I'm in, I'm in residential, but very interested in moving into the self-storage space. Great. So obviously what, uh, with a partner, it's first of all, a partner that can just bring a deal. That's as simple as that. So that's a, first second is a, a partner that may live in that area we definitely had a lot of struggles uh getting financing because none of my partners lived in that in north carolina actually so that was a an issue because many banks don't believe that you can remotely manage which has been disapproved a thousand times it just you can really get it done so a partner that can be a, in a way boots in the ground and be in an area it's a high advantage so if you're not in Florida, some other state, that's already a potential for partnership over there. And also, obviously, again, uh, what skills can you bring on? Um, myself, I've developed my own uh, underwriting model. So, but it doesn't mean I want to spend uh, all the time underwriting in a way. So if there's someone that's gonna come, come in and help me with underwriting, that can be a benefit for sure. Uh, someone who has great tech skills can be definitely a benefit. And the capital raisers too, 
uh, uh, we are right now uh, will be raising capital for our next projects, but uh, having someone on a team who has a big experience with that, that's also an opportunity. But if you come in from a probably residential, and if you've been like, for example, flipping houses, you probably have great experience with like rehabbing properties. So finding something that's like destroyed, there's a lot of those mom and pops that really hasn't been taken care of can be also definitely. So those are great. That's, those, that's a great question. That's a great question. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and definitely reach out. We can definitely talk about uh, how we can see what we can potentially do together. Always. Yeah. No, Jim's a great guy. He comes to a lot of our events. He's a, he's a great investor as well. So ah, looking forward to meeting you, Jim. He's a good, yeah, we, we got a good group here. So, uh, so thank you for that, Masha. Uh, so GCB Realty, I, I don't know the exact name, but uh, she said, he said, or she said, hey, Masha, thanks so much for your time. Uh, three questions they had. One was, do you buy franchise storage units? No. The, I mean, franchise, what, <laughs> like sometimes you see a bunch of public storages, but they're not all owned by storage. They're actually, someone has a storage and they're taking their branding and so why, and public storage usually doesn't make much money out of it. Why are they doing it? Because they are hoping one day, maybe they're going to let go and they can buy that uh, property from them. So we are in a way, uh, how to say, we have, usually we talk uh, how to beat the rates. So we don't, we all stick together like, like the small operators, right? We're talking about the big guys and then everybody else. We try to compete again. I mean, not compete. We're trying to, for read to not take over everything because we don't want to have all public storages everywhere. So we actually come together and there's a group that's called Store Local, which is a cooperation. And we all are part of that group. We get a discount for vendors. We get special, what usually like a public storage gets a big discount on their uh, vendors, such as say insurance. We're being a part of this co-op. I'm I'm getting great uh, discounts on that. So yeah, franchise model definitely would not be interested because they're kind of we're kind of against them. Great answer. Um, so next question is: Do you own your self storage brand? And then the final question is: Do you do you do you have to hire a self storage builder specifically? How does converting an old warehouse work, for example? So first about the branding. Um, so Yes, of course. Um, the, every storage, we personally prefer to call storage the name of the town. So when we came in, uh, the name of the town is Morganton. So we called, there was no storage called Morganton Storage. We called Morganton Storage. Why? Because people, um, the SEO, the search, search engine optimization, they will Google storage in Morganton. So we will be just because having that name will help us to pop up. So, but then we have, obviously I have right now a branding. I mean, our brand name is a top choice, which is just more for like acquisitions of all the self storages. Awesome. Yeah. And then the second, the second question he had was uh, when you hire, you hire a self storage builder specifically or exactly how does that work, that process work? Of for conversions, old right? For conversions, so with conversion, right? so I know this is my strategy. I am not an expert in converting self storage into self storage. So this is actually a great answer to Jim. What I'm looking at a partner is having been experienced in conversions. So I know at least like five plus people who've converted uh, self storages. And a couple of them are my kind of already friends. 
So when I get an opportunity, I will definitely offer them opportunity to partner because it's just will help us to uh, be successful in the project so much higher than trying to figure out yourself. Right now we're expanding on our facilities I was mentioning and in my partnership, I don't have an experienced builder. So it's been a lot of go figure it out. I mean, I have beautiful, amazing mentors and coaches and without them, I would never be here. Uh, those great people, those experts that have been supporting. But if I would have had a partner that already had experience in uh, construction of building, right, development, it would have been so much easier. So I know I'm not going to make the same mistake on this pro and if I'm doing conversion project, I'll, I have at least like five, six people who I can reach out and offer a partnership opportunity. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I'd imagine like, you know, obviously having a, some sort of GC or your a team member within your team that has experience doing conversions is obviously a benefit because I, I know that that's something that you know, there's, there's, I'm working with a car wash operator right now. They're, they're looking to build a car wash here in, in, in locally. And they're working with a company that all they do is build car washes. Uh -huh. So like that, and they build it all across the nation. Right. So obviously their, 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 I, their, um, their, their, their knowledge is very, very specific. So they're able to service that industry extremely well. So, you know, there may be operators out there or developers or something along those RGCs that operate just in the self-storage business and they travel around, but if that's not the case, if you can't find someone like that, maybe reaching out locally to different, you know, commercial GCs and seeing if they have experience doing something like that, I think would be of benefit. So exactly, exactly. Thank you, Rafael. Oh, of course. Yeah. So Mark has a question. So have you have you had any experience with bigger self storage companies cutting smaller, undercutting smaller operators and pushing them out of the market? So this is where you. It's all on you. Right, uh, it's easy to blame someone do it. Uh, that's why it's again comes back to supply demand analysis. So I go going in the market that knowing that there is actually a new like let's say again public storage is in uh, like just get permits and start development process. They will probably will cut because they will when they're going to be start lease up mode. They will do their fifty percent off on their rents, and this can definitely hurt. So. Again, just finding supply demand, but the pipeline, what's coming up out there? So it's literally calling the municipality you're in I mean, or the deal is in and finding out what, do you have any permits that have been given or do you have anything that's coming up? And if you're calling, we have a software that's called uh, Radius Plus, which is um, a paid version. It's very, uh, it's affordable, but paid uh, software where it can tell you like, um, an idea of what's coming up, but don't trust it. This is when you can just kind of also look at all the storages prices. It can give you a lot of information, radiusplus.com, but you it, don't put an offer with just that information, but you can kind of get a glance. So yes, I hope I answered that question. Yeah. And that, that's a great point where you made like planning and design. A lot of your cities are going to have, you know, per, if people pull permits for different types of developments, they're going to have that information. A lot of that's public in the public domain so they, they can provide you with that information so if you see a ton of self-storage facilities that are being developed in a certain area again just factor it in your supply and demand analysis and i just recently took a course called cci ccim 102 uh -huh. that it talked about you know the market analytics as it pertains to new development opportunities exactly. and it applies you know self-storage it applies multifamily. it applies various different types of 
commercial property. And this, the logic's the same in each of those property types. So um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, any more? Oh, uh, would you please, uh, would you be willing to share some of those slides or do you, how do you, how would you be able oh, to yeah, access for sure. some of that information? That'd be Definitely. awesome. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be more than happy to um, send it to you so you can share. I appreciate it. And what we'll probably do is, again, this is recorded as well. So for those of you guys who are watching on YouTube and list, or listening in a podcast format, it'll be in the description. So just of so course. you guys and have access If you to have that. like any, any question, any support, I've had so many great people that supported me in my journey. So I'm so happy that I can now give back and I've been supporting and others. So if you have any particular question, I, I'd be more than happy to help you out to figure it out. So just For reach sure. out. Awesome. Well, I think we, I think you answer all the questions. So first off, Masha, I really do appreciate you stopping by and sharing all these insights regarding the, uh, the, the self-storage space. I think it's an exciting space and obviously your passion kind of radiates from you when you talk about this particular subject. And I know you've been involved in the group for quite some time. So we really do appreciate everything you do. And uh, if people wanted to get in contact with you, obviously you shared your, your contact information, but do you mind repeating that one more time? And again, for those of, for those of you guys who are listening, either podcast format or YouTube, we're going to share that in the description, but if how, what's the best way to get in contact? Definitely. I would say first social media, Masha Klapanova on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. And then you can also send me a text message. I mean, usually don't call me because I mean, those are a lot of spammers that call scammers. So I may not answer, but 305-930-1555. And then just so you can always send an email. I mean, I think this email kind of can be too, too professional in a way, right? But you can send me definitely always an email at Masha at topchoice.group. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Masha. Thank you all for stopping by this week. We really do appreciate all the support. If you guys are listening to this in a YouTube format, feel free to like and subscribe to the channel. It helps the algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message. If you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, make sure that more and more people learn about the self-storage industry because it really is a phenomenal industry to be in. And if you guys get a chance, definitely reach out to Masha because she's a great person to know. So thank you all for stopping by and we'll see you all next time.